2: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today we're discussing The Legend of the Lone Ranger, released May 22, 1981. It was written by Ian Goff, Ben Roberts, Michael Caine, and William Roberts, adapted by Gerald B. Durlechon, from characters by George W. Trendle and Fran Stryker, directed by william a fraker and released by universal
1: i like that william a fraker is like almost a combination of william Riker and jonathan frakes
2: that's good yeah (laughs) he's right in between them also always encouraging to see four writers names on the script oh
1: yeah but it's always good to see michael kane yeah which michael kane is it
2: i'll never tell because i'm not sure The character of the Lone Ranger premiered on a radio program in 1933. It was the invention of either series writer Fran Stryker or WXYZ Detroit station owner George W. Trendle, who have shared the credit since the show's inception, though both owe a debt to the creators of Zorro, who predates and closely resembles the Masked Hero. That makes sense. The first actor to play the role on the radio show was a man named George Stenius, who quit to pursue screenwriting as a career, and succeeded wildly under the name George Seaton, eventually winning screenwriting Oscars for The Miracle on 34th Street and The Country Girl, both of which he also directed. He's also responsible for the scripts of Marx Brothers films A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races, as well as an uncredited draft of The Wizard of Oz, and more recently the 1970 disaster film Airport, which he also co-directed that's crazy he was writing marx brothers movies and he directed airport in 1970
3: I, I guess i always kind of assumed that they wrote their own movies the marx brothers i, I never really thought oh about i think it.
2: they were based on shows that went on tour and they would make a movie at the end of the year but yeah. he has the screenwriting credit so he must have cobbled oh, together Oh, like, like adapted to yeah.
3: screen yeah that makes sense
2: Voice actor Earl Grazer played the character for the bulk of the series, some 1,300 episodes, but his turn as the Ranger ended in tragedy when he fell asleep at the wheel of a car and crashed it into a parked trailer, dying instantly. In addition to the loss of their friend and co-worker, the producers of the program had a problem to solve, as The Lone Ranger was recorded live three days a week, and audiences were well acquainted with Grazer's voice. They found the closest voice they could to Grazers and wrote in a five-episode arc where the Lone Ranger spoke only in whispers and grunts, recovering from a gunshot wound, so that by the time he was speaking again, listeners would already have unknowingly spent five days with the new voice.
3: (laughs) That's a weird choice.
2: (laughs) The program has since been adapted into books and TV shows and films. It has gone on to inspire, at least in part, other popular characters, most notably Batman, who, like the Lone Ranger, is a wealthy business owner who fights crime using a secret identity and, in most incarnations, expresses a disinterest in killing the criminals he pursues.
3: Is he a business owner, the Lone Ranger?
2: In the, in the radio show in the original television series, he owns a silver mine.
3: Oh, okay.
2: In fact, in the entire 22-year run of the radio show, from 33 to 56, the Lone Ranger only actually killed one enemy. Two live-action serials were produced by Republic Pictures in 38 and 39, starring two different actors, Lee Powell and Robert Livingston, as the hero, but his sidekick Tonto is played in both films by Victor Daniels, born Victor Vasquez, and amusingly credited as Chief Thundercloud.
3: <laughs> you mean, like, his actual name is, like, not, not as Tonto isn't Chief Thundercloud, but... They in the call- credits
2: it says Tonto is played by Chief Thundercloud.
3: <laughs> okay, just making sure that they that they didn't change his name in the show. You're no, saying that they, they credited- changed his name
2: in real life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay.
2: His chiefdom was granted as an honorary title and he has no proven Native American heritage, though he claimed to belong to many tribes striker adapted the lone ranger character into a series of books which together with the radio show were adapted into a long-running popular television series that ran from 49 to 57 where he was portrayed by clayton moore for all but the third season of the series when he was briefly replaced by actor john hart the lone ranger sidekick tonto was played on the television series progressively for the time by an actual native american named jay silverheels a mohawk from the six nations indian reserve in ontario i say appropriately because the lone rangers business in the radio program and subsequent adaptations is a silver mine so silver heels is the perfect choice and that silver mine provides him with all the cash he needs and an endless supply of silver bullets
3: Uh. in 1954
2: jack rather bought the rights to lone ranger and immediately set about preparing a film adaptation the first couple feature-length lone ranger films were completed in 1956 and 58 titled The Lone Ranger and The Lone Ranger and The Lost City of Gold. Both were based on the television series and starred the TV actors Moore and Silverheels. Long after the television series had ended, Clayton Moore, the actor from the series, continued to book public appearances as the Lone Ranger until in 1979, Jack Rather, the new rights owner, filed a restraining order against him. (laughs) He was worried that Moore's appearances would devalue the character as he was putting together plans for the 1981 adaptation.
3: Well, that's stupid. Yeah, and I think most people thought he
2: was a monster for doing this because they still respected Clayton Moore as the Lone Ranger. Of
3: course, I can't not imagine any studio nowadays, you know, taking an old property and and telling the people don't don't make appearances as this because you're gonna you know ruin the character. Yeah, can you imagine like
2: Warner Brothers telling Adam West that he couldn't show up with the Batmobile for like public appearances? (laughs) It's
3: ridiculous.
2: The court's decision was quickly appealed, and Moore was again allowed to appear in costume as the character. It turned out the public battle with beloved television actor Moore just pissed people off, and it would have been better to ignore him.
3: Yeah, totally.
2: He arranged a distribution deal with Lou Grade's AFD, Associated Film Distribution, but the company was tanked by the failure of Raise the Titanic last year, and Universal wound up distributing. The 1981 adaptation of the story was also released in some markets as simply The Lone Ranger, Lou Grade wanted to follow the cheaper strategy of finding an unknown to carry the franchise, which worked for Superman very publicly, but also very publicly failed for Flash Gordon. They reportedly spent eight months auditioning actors on the way to this Lone Ranger in Tonto.
3: Was Christopher Reeves an unknown?
2: Relatively, yeah. Huh. The film's release was delayed from December of 1980 to summer of 81 due to post-production issues, which were supposedly related to a SAG strike that pushed back the scheduling of extensive ADR fixes. Unfortunately, a product tie-in with Cheerios could not be delayed due to the short shelf life of the product, so, Lone Ranger-themed Cheerios advertising the film hit stores six months before its release.
3: <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell me that they managed to put Cheerios in this movie, and I'm like, no. I don't remember
2: them eating. No, all the British characters are constantly saying Cheerio.
1: They renamed Tonto to Cheerio. Yeah,
2: and there's that CGB just flying around the movie. <laughs> Not unlike *Heaven's Gate* the previous year, rumors swirled about the mess the film had become. Reagan, a close friend of producer rather, was supposed to appear in person for the premiere, but covertly arranged for an assassination attempt so he could cancel. Clever. It lost its opening weekend to our previous two episodes, Bustin' Loose and The Four Seasons, and eventually they pulled The Legend of the Lone Ranger completely out of theaters to widen the release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The film, of course, landed in that Rolling Stone article we've repeatedly brought up, Big Bucks, Big Losers, having made $7 million back of its $18 million budget. Ooh.
3: 18 million seems so unnecessary for this film
2: i know drew struzan illustrated a poster for the film which was foolishly rejected and i have it here to get your thoughts it's so much better than the one they used which is like all black and you can barely see the side of his face but oh
3: yeah this is definitely better than the one you
2: wanted it to look like an adventure movie and this even looks like wanted posters almost totally yeah but that's even just Drew Struzan's style. Like he would have been the perfect choice to do this in the first place, and then well, you told him no.
3: You know what's funny is the current poster actually makes me think more of Zorro because it's so black. That's and, true. And, yeah. yeah. And so that and may, maybe they were trying to tie that in and have people want to see it because of that, but definitely doesn't scream R- Lone Ranger to me. Yeah.
1: Also must have been hell to print all those black posters. Yeah. Yeah. Just using all your the black ink to use all that in
2: two thousand three the wb produced a two-hour tv movie the channel's first tv movie starring chad michael murray as luke hartman aka the lone ranger intending to adapt it to series but it didn't make the expected splash and plans were scrapped the name luke hartman doesn't seem to be a specific reference to anything i can find in the show's history as the character has always been john reed since its inception so did they just not even look up what the character was named (laughs) Or does somebody just name it after their kid?
1: Or, or is it supposed to be like after the Lone Ranger? Like Lone Ranger is gone, in, like a Mask taking of up Zorro? taking up the
2: mantle I mean,
3: of maybe. Lone Ranger, and it's a new person. It's
2: just the same story. His brother's still named Dan,
1: mm. <laughs> so they kept Dan. Yeah, they changed. <laughs> it's like when they changed uh, Quaid's name in Total Recall. Yeah, because the original character's name was Quail. In the book,
2: and they changed it to Quaid. They
1: changed it to Quaid, but then when they re- uh, remade the film with uh, Colin Farrell,
2: they changed it back.
1: No, they didn't. They kept. Oh, Quaid. that's weird. Oh.
2: <laughs> Why remake it? So it's not an adaptation of the book. It's it's a remake of the previous movie.
1: No, it's it's supposed. To, it was supposed to be a closer adaptation of We Can Sell It to You Wholesale.
2: But they but didn't they, call it that. They no. also took Total Recall as the name.
1: Yeah,
3: well, that's kind of like what they did for the new version of this movie because the 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 um. The Army Hammer Johnny Depp one is very much a remake of this one, as opposed to a retelling of the other one, because that Silvermine stuff isn't in there. That's it's, true. He's a, you know he's a he's a lawyer again. Well,
2: it probably would have been introduced in the third or fourth films, which never happened. Didn't
3: happen. Yeah, fair enough.
2: Other changes to the two thousand three WB version included the introduction of Tonto's hot sister, Elope, presumably spelled <laughs> elope. <laughs> And the fact that he has no qualms with killing people, but Silver keeps getting in the way of his bullets to prevent him from shooting people.
3: Wait, I just realized what you're talking about. This is the one that I walked in on you playing and it was like, it looked like a, a teen yeah. movie. It looked like it came <laughs> it out like in the wild.
2: mid-90s, but it was 2003. Oh my God.
3: Oh boy. It, yeah, I mean, it was All it was Dutch like,
2: angles and pop music.
3: I know, and I was like, is that Eric Von Detten?" No, it's not, but it could have been. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Very easily. The WB version was written by my good friend, Stacy Title, who I worked with for all of four hours operating Video Assist on the set of Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, and she for sure does not remember me. <laughs> but she was always very kind, and she also directed a great film called The Last Supper that I recommend checking out if you haven't seen it. Ron Perlman, Cameron Diaz, good stuff. In 2013, the story was adapted again by the writers and director of the first Pirates of the Caribbean films, starring Army Hammer as John Reed and Johnny Depp as Tonto. The villains of this version were played by William Fitchner as Butch Cavendish and Tom Wilkinson as Railroad Tycoon Latham Cole.
3: I love Fitchner as Cavendish. He's like, great. Oh my god, he's so creepy looking. It actually really reminds me of some of the character design that you also see in Rango. Like, sure, just yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Like the like really gritty. It's the same director, Western right? Stuff. Uh, Rango was um, Verbinski, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Carl Verbinski. Oh, did Didn't, he do? Did he do the um, Lone Ranger too?
2: I'm pretty sure because he did Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Uh, I don't know. I bringing it up.
3: Oh. yeah, Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean the aesthetic is definitely in line with yeah, I mean yeah, that makes pirates sense. as well as, as I Lango. love William
2: Fitchner in almost everything. The, yeah. And the only times where I don't really care for him is one hundred percent not his fault. It's because uh Michael Bay produced that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie yeah, where yeah. he plays Shredder for some reason. <laughs>
3: yeah, but I think that the, the grittiness of the of the um 2013 one is is really great
2: yeah is he shredder or is he he's not a rokosaki right he's like a guy who's facilitating shredders work or something
1: yeah yeah i don't think that he was the actual shredder
2: right that would be weird but he's great in the perfect storm or go like go is one of my favorites it's confederated (laughs) products yeah uh that's wonderful stuff and
1: and his very short scene at the beginning of the dark knight
2: oh right yeah yeah yeah, yeah manager
1: oh
3: yeah
2: Ironically, Wilkinson would also appear as Seth Rogen's father in The Green Hornet two years earlier, the original Green Hornet series having been a spin-off of The Lone Ranger, following the adventures of The Lone Ranger John Reed's great-nephew, Britt Reed. We start in the open plains of Texas, 1854. A gang of cowboys on horseback are firing on a lone Native American boy racing ahead of them. The boy is clotheslined by a branch and knocked from his horse and then tumbles over a small cliff face. A young rancher grabs him and pushes him into the shadows, advising him to keep quiet from below. The men above them search for the boy until they hear gunfire.
0: There's the Reed place! Come on! We're missing it!
2: The boy huddling over the Native American hears this and begins running toward the family farm. We learn that this is John Reed, and the gang of cowboys is headed after his family. We cut to John's father, Mr. Reed, defending his family farm from the porch, as the cowboy gang toss lit torches through his windows, setting the home ablaze. Young John races home and the Native American boy, who we will come to know as Tonto, follows him. One of the gang lassos John's mother and drags her through the dirt with his horse, and then he drags her into an open field of crops and shoots her in the face.
1: Yeah, I I did not know what to expect from this movie at this point. Yeah,
2: Yeah. it was
3: a little intense.
2: I thought it was going to be this dark the whole time at this point.
3: It probably would have been better if it was. I actually
2: think that's true. (laughs) John gets there too late and cradles her corpse, crying, orphaned, The young boy rides on Tonto's horse. They head back to Tonto's tribe. Tonto's father, or chief, I'm not sure, shares words of advice.
0: Though we cannot see those that are dear to us, does not mean they are no longer with us. Keep your parents alive within you and their spirits will never die.
2: The chief informs John that Tonto will teach him the ways of the Native Americans, and Merle Haggard starts with his vaguely rhyming dialogue which sounds surprisingly like Johnny Cash, who would probably have made more sense for this part.
3: Yeah, I really don't like this.
0: Yeah, neither did Merle Haggard, apparently. (laughs) The legend started simply, just a boy without a home. Taken in by Indians, but still pretty much alone. He had to struggle with strange customs and his own fears from within. He learned the wisdom of the forest. He learned the ways of the wind.
2: He learned to paint with all the colors of the wind. No, that's not
3: <laughs> Now I gotta leave your version in here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we get a montage of John learning various Native American skills like fishing, hatchet throwing, hand-to-hand combat, and archery. We get some sort of a contest where adult Native American tribesmen are throwing spears from horseback into big straw targets. John and Tonto try their hand, and fail miserably. As John picks himself up from the dust, he notices his much older brother, Dan, approaching. They hug tightly, and Dan explains that John will stay with their Aunt Martha in Detroit. He begs to stay with Dan, insisting he belongs in the West. We get a quick blood brothers moment with Tonto, where they slice up their palms and press them together. Tonto gives John a necklace.
1: From this
3: moment, wherever you go, whatever you do, you will always be Kimo
2: which he then translates to trusted friend
3: yeah so i googled that
2: (laughs) technically there is no agreed upon translation for the phrase and the consensus seems to be that the word actually came from a camp founded in 1911 called camp kimosabi near lake mackinac in michigan which was uncoincidentally run by the father-in-law of james jewell director of the original lone ranger serials who actually filled in voicing the titular character for an
1: episode
3: First of all, Mackinac.
1: Mackinac. Second
3: of all, <laughs> uh, like
1: a Mackinac peach.
3: There was a, now I gotta look it up again because I figured there's a
2: whole list of like this almost sounds like this oh, other word. Oh, okay, that yeah, means no, this. that's
3: what it, that and that's what I found was basically like it's a rough translation of this Native American word, you know, meaning brother or friend or whatever it is. But the
2: fact that the camp was literally called Camp Kemosabe and it was run by the father-in-law of the director of the show makes me think that that's definitely where it came from.
3: Right. But what I'm saying is that the camp title might be a mistranslation of an actual Native American word because there's plenty of that going around the Midwest where we bastardize uh, Native American words for our own (laughs) usage. (laughs)
2: Um, But yeah, I, I think none of the it could have been this word or it could have been this word make any sense in the context of none of them are anywhere near trusted friend in terms of the translation we cut forward in time a couple decades to a stagecoach the wells fargo overland racing through the desert we get a taste of merle haggard's official theme for the film the man in the mask
0: the legends tell of one who tried to fight for all the rest
2: I actually like the song. I don't care for the talking throughout the film, but the song I kind of like.
3: Eh, I could do without the whole Merle Haggard part.
1: I can see what they were trying to do. Like there was a lot of westerns that had like these weird ballads.
2: And I think that these narrations were part of the show, like the original radio series, but they didn't rhyme like this, and they weren't musical.
1: Yeah,
3: I think that's the part that bothers me. Is like I don't, I don't mind the voiceover in general because I think that that does harken back to like a radio play type of situation, but. I think the fact that it sounds like a children's book bothers yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the there's a James Coburn movie called Waterhole Number Three, uh, and all throughout that the, that film, there's a re- repetition of a song that's supposed to be echoing themes. Yeah. And that's what this whole Merle Haggard thing reminded me of. Yeah.
2: Before she can even take her seat, the carriage races off, and she nearly falls in the lap of a handsome stranger. As they ride, she tries to read a book but eventually asks to trade seats with a passenger facing the opposite direction. Uncomfortable reading while moving backwards. The handsome gentleman who introduces himself as the adult John Reed is the first to offer his seat.
0: She's a wonderful writer, isn't she?
1: Are you familiar with her?
2: Well, actually, I prefer Century of dishonor. I haven't read it. Well, you should. Helen Hunt Jackson is the author of these books. The one the woman is reading is called Glimpses of Three Coasts, But the man's recommendation, Century of Dishonor, is about the plight of the Native Americans, suggesting that John Reed is particularly sympathetic to the Native American causes. The man sitting beside John is headed west to sell his new invention, sunglasses. Now, apparently when they told Clayton Moore that he couldn't dress as the bandit when he went places, he instead bought a pair of these big wrap around sunglasses that looked almost exactly like Mm. the mask that the lone ranger wears
1: like the glasses that they give you after like cataract surgery right
2: exactly and he would he would walk around wearing those because he's like well they told me i can't wear the mask so i'm wearing these now so they invented this random character who sells sunglasses so that they could kill him off to just be like fuck you clayton moore
1: wow yeah Is that true? I'm pretty sure, yes. Okay, because I kept waiting for the sunglasses thing to come into play. No,
2: I think that was literally supposed to be a reference to Clayton Moore and his sunglasses that he wore. John tells the man that he's here to start an office to practice law. Suddenly the carriage is being fired upon. One of the stagecoach drivers tries to push his horses harder down the road, while the other fires a rifle over the top of the carriage at their pursuers. The driver kills one of the bandits, and another bandit kills him. One of the passengers admits to having a gun, but refuses to fire it, insisting it's not his fight. Ah, I think it is your fight. (laughs) Because if they kill one more of your drivers, you're in this carriage and you're going to be a prisoner of these people. Eventually, the gunfire enters the carriage and kills the sunglasses salesman, prompting the man with a gun to fire on another bandit, killing him. One of the bandits rides up ahead of the racing carriage and jumps from his horse onto the head horse pulling the carriage. He climbs down to the wooden harness, intending to climb his way back to the coach.
1: Is, is that was that in, is that his intent? I don't know. I I thought his intent was to get to the lead horse to slow them down, and then he fell down, and then he was trying to work his way back to not get sucked under the wheels. Maybe. Um, spoil- <laughs> Does it work?
2: <laughs> no, that did not work to his uh, to his advantage. The stunt man here, Terry Leonard. Was actually horribly injured during this stunt his intention was to outdo the famous stunt from stagecoach performed by honorary oscar-winning stuntman yakima Canut. leonard was supposed to slide directly under the carriage catch onto the back of it and then be shot off from there but he lost his grip early and the coach ran over his legs Ooh. he laid perfectly still for a moment fearing that his legs had been severed from his body but they weren't, and he made a full recovery.
3: But this like, also reminded me of uh, Indiana Jones going under the truck.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Later that year, he would perform almost the exact same stunt, doubling Indiana Jones
0: oh. <laughs> there you in go. Raiders
2: of the Lost Ark. <laughs> the pack of bandits is down to two now, and one of them shoots the last surviving coachman. John somehow senses that they're racing along without a driver and climbs out to the front carriage, pulling the horses to a stop. The bandits pick the carriage clean and even go through the corpses on board for valuables. Their faces are obscured by bags with eye holes cut in them. <laughs> Do you guys recall the last time we saw that? I'm not going to go through the whole list, but what's the most recent?
3: Um, uh, Happy birthday to me. No, not ha- the other one. Bloody birthday.
2: No. Oh, that... More recently than that. Shit.
3: Now the elephant man was older. Uh, More recent than that was... I don't know. Which one? <laughs> oh did did he wear a bag for friday the 13th part two yes oh okay
2: he only had one eye hole but he wore a bag the bandit going through the sunglasses guy's coat finds a lot of cash but he keeps it to himself the other bandit seems captivated by the female passenger they've captured when the man starts to move toward her john jumps from the top of the carriage to tackle him to the ground and when his partner pulls out a gun the asian-american gentleman throws a knife into the man's leg disarming him The female passenger, Amy Stryker, thanks John for saving her life. As they pull into Del Rio, they are preceded by the town crier, a child on horseback, who announces that the Wells Fargo stagecoach was held up and that everyone has been killed. This news catches the attention of the Del Rio dispatch editor, Lucas Stryker, whose niece was on board. We get another chapter from Merle Haggard's narration.
0: Del Rio was a town in trouble, a town with a gun in its back plagued the crimes that just wouldn't stop and cursed with a sheriff who wore black. So you'd think they'd be suspicious, but simple folks rarely are. They're willing to trust their law to just about any man who wears a star. Whoa.
2: Sheriff Wyatt steps out of the local bar, dressed in all black, just as Haggard predicted, and played by Matt Clark. Mr. Stryker is elated to find that his niece Amy has survived the encounter with the bandits, two of which are handed off to the sheriff who promises they'll both hang on behalf of the bandits who didn't make it to town. John Reed offers a deposition to the deputy in the event of a trial for these men, but the deputy doesn't even know what a deposition is.
0: Do you need a deposition? I don't know. You got one you want to get rid of?
2: Amy introduces John to her uncle Lucas and invites him to a home-cooked meal. Unfortunately, he has to take a rain check because he's due at the ranger post this evening to see his brother Dan. Dan is not happy to see him, because he thought sending the kid to Detroit would keep him safe forever.
0: You don't understand. It's still a frontier. It forces you to make sacrifices, to make choices. Your heart can't tell you what to do, your gut tells you.
2: John assures him that his gut says he belongs here, and Dan, not wanting to put up a fight any longer, gives his brother a big hug. The one he's been waiting for since he got here. We cut to that night and Danny mentions that his wife took his son and left for Richmond with almost no notice. They don't intend to come back until the West is tamed. Dan here is the grandfather of another hero known as the Green Hornet, meaning that Danny Jr., his son, who is whisked away, is the Green Hornet's father. Dan mentions that his biggest problem in this neck of the woods is the Cavendish gang, and John says those are the men that robbed his stagecoach on the way in.
0: Cavendish don't rob stages. Cavendish robs ranches from grabbing land driving the owners off robbing killing burning who is this cavendish
2: they're led by a man known as butch the butcher cavendish who is a major dishonorably discharged from the union army he was court-martialed personally by general grant after the battle of chattanooga he mentions that general grant who is now the president is planning to make a visit to this territory to hunt buffalo and make speeches
0: Everybody in the whole town is going to turn out there and wave little flags at him. Me? I like to piss on him. (laughs) He's the president of the United States. He's a liar and a drunk. Piss on the president. Piss on the cabinet. They ain't going to help us out here, you know. In Texas, robbers are outlaws. In Washington rubbers are elected isn't yeah, right
2: facebook memes y'all but
3: <laughs> like, things have not changed <laughs> yeah.
2: i have to assume that even in 1850s this was a really stale take merle haggard opens another chapter
0: butch cavendish lived undisturbed waging his private war and men who made mistakes were simply men he could not afford some say he was a monster and others called him mad Let's just say Butch Cavendish was everything that's bad. Woof.
1: Oh,
2: God. <laughs> Great rhyming, kids.
1: Uh, also, I am not a fan of how their fort is built. Like right on a on river. On a river? Yeah, that's it's a like, terrible idea. Th- that is, there's going to be flash flooding and it's all going to be gone. Yeah,
2: put it next to the river if you have to. Yeah. But over the river, that's ridiculous. We see soldiers lined up along a river beside a fort, and Butch Cavendish, as played by Christopher Lloyd, addresses his men. He orders the two men who survived the stagecoach robbery to death by firing squad. Do you guys recall the last time we saw two men executed by firing squad sitting next to each other in wooden chairs in the middle of nowhere? I
3: do! Yeah.
2: Spoiler alert, it was?
3: Breaker Marine.
2: That's correct. Sheriff Wyatt comes around the corner and suggests that these two men haven't done anything that he wouldn't do in their position. But Cavendish implies that anything less than complete loyalty and subservience is cause for execution
1: his his whole speech is very m bison yeah like even <laughs> even, even his his cadence is very Raul Julia yeah it's funny. funny that they'll both be in a movie together later as brothers yeah
2: the men are shot and killed but we cut on gunfire to fireworks erupting at a nearby celebration of Dia de los Muertos
1: so that's establishing then the time of year.
2: Yes, we're just after Halloween. The day after Halloween.
1: Seems like an odd time to place this film.
2: Yeah, you should have been wearing the mask yesterday.
1: Oh, that would have been so great.
2: If he, it was a Halloween costume first? Yeah, like he
1: like <laughs> he, he's attending like a fancy like masked ball, you know? You go. Oh, just God. happen to have it.
2: Missed opportunity.
3: Otherwise it's like, can you imagine like going oh, into yeah. a general store and be like, ah, do you have any like masks Uh, (laughs) no not
2: smaller than this one like it just like just Just, covers my eyes yeah Yeah. (laughs) what would that be for though because i mean i could still recognize you it doesn't provide any anonymity i don't know i i want to test and see how well it works
1: (laughs) that's why i thought the sunglasses were going to come into play i thought i thought that that he was going to have modified these sunglasses in such a way to
2: look like the lone ranger mask also there's only one guy out here in the West who knows what you look like and he dies pretty quick. So mm. nobody knows what you look like. So why do you need a mask?
1: I, I also think it's very racist that they can't identify Tonto ever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah he doesn't need a mask because his Native American hood is his mask. <laughs>
1: it's very upsetting.
2: Wow. Also, isn't the whole point of a superhero wearing a mask to protect his loved ones? Yeah. Does the Lone Ranger have loved ones?
1: Well, he has a secret identity, I guess.
3: I mean, he's got... He, his,
2: his loved one is his other self. <laughs> 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 I don't want people to hate me for saving the day.
1: Well, well, I mean, Superman doesn't have a alter... But he identity. has Lois Lane well, and his family, but that, who but, cares but about. But Clark Kent isn't protecting that. He's not? No.
2: Then why does he pretend to be a different person during the day? That's
1: that's the whole question. That's, that's, that's the question that Bill and Kill Bill brings up. Why... Does Superman pretend to be Clark Kent?
2: I think the reason is because otherwise Lex Luthor would go after his family and would go after but, Lois Lane. Who,
1: but no, if Superman just enters into the scene, sorry, we're talking about Superman now. If <laughs> Superman just appeared one day, no one would go. Hey, I know who that guy is and who his mother is.
2: He, no, but it would if,
1: just be some guy that showed up.
2: But if Superman worked at the Daily Planet? No, he
1: would Why does he need to work? He doesn't need to work ever. He's Superman. And he's independently is he wealthy, Richard. <laughs> Wait,
2: why is he there if he doesn't need to work? Th- he doesn't need to eat food?
1: That's the question. Does I Superman
2: not eat food?
1: I don't know if he could go he could fly out to the Arctic and kill a bear. <laughs> And just eat bear Sorry,
2: you want to live off
3: of polar bear meat the rest yeah. of your life? You go ahead. Uncooked polar Superman bear meat. Got a job. What
2: if Superman's a shit cook, <laughs> and he needed pocket change to buy fast food, and you're shaming him for having a job?
3: Yeah, yeah but like I get so like in in in, in the in the the same vein, we get why Batman has to you know because Batman is still running a regular life as right. Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. But like this guy is pretending to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> like i mean he's trying to he's trying to make sure that nobody knows he's alive anymore yeah.
2: even the loved ones who he'd be protecting don't know that he's still alive. right
3: like i don't i don't know
2: <laughs> what if he has a kid later and he has to convince his kid that he was dead I mean, he, has
3: he, was a, he has a he has a niece and a sister-in-law or not a niece a nephew right a nephew yeah. A nephew
2: who apparently he spends time with on the tv series like the nephew so
3: then maybe he's protecting them by pretending to still be dead and nobody can see that he's alive and come after anybody
2: yeah but i mean the whole reason that he puts it on in this movie well we'll get we'll get to it
1: yeah he's like racer x yeah from
2: across the festivities amy happens to spot john reed he walks his brother dan across the party to introduce him to amy and her uncle lucas John compliments Amy's article about the stagecoach robbery, though he worries that he sounded too heroic in it. He also compliments Lucas's editorial on the Cavendish gang. Lucas takes this opportunity to return to his office to prepare tomorrow's paper. We cut to the offices of the Del Rio dispatch, just as it's being swarmed by masked men. Lucas is there alone and taken hostage by the intruders. Amy and John speak in private, and she says he reminds her of her uncle. He gets her the book that he recommended on the carriage.
1: It seems, seems odd, unless he had it with him. Right, yeah. It, it seems odd that he would be able to get it in this I I think that random... is the
3: implication, though, that he okay. that he did have it, and so, like, that's well, just... Well, he the should
2: have
1: given it to her then.
3: ...kind of guy that he has. It was in a box on the back of a carriage being taken over by bandits. I don't care if bandits. you're getting
2: shot at. <laughs> oh, he was. I do care. He kisses her goodbye, and she's headed off to San Francisco to further her writing career.
1: They really kiss, too. Yeah. It's like, it's not just like a... A little goodbye kiss.
2: It's their first kiss, and it's also a passionate one.
1: And their only kiss?
2: Yeah, I think so. A young man named Hidalgo, the town crier we saw before but with a bullet wound in his chest, stumbles up to the party and collapses across the table. He manages to mention the Del Rio dispatch before passing out from blood loss. By the time the local law makes it to the offices of the dispatch, the intruders have left, but Lucas Stryker has been hung from the rafters. John hops on a horse with his brother and a few other men, and they race off, following the tracks of the murderers. Six rangers are moving through a rocky pass and pause for a quick break. John seems paranoid as he scans the rocks above for any sign of trouble. As they continue down the trail, they reach Bryant's Gap. Ranger Collins agrees to take the lead as a scout. Dan brings up his son and the possibility of a visit for Christmas.
1: (laughs) A surefire way to get yourself killed. Oh,
2: it gets worse. (laughs) He can't wait for John to meet him, Dan takes this moment to unsuspiciously read his last will and testament to brother John.
0: If anything was ever to happen to me, I want you to check on him for me. Nothing's gonna happen to you. If it was gonna happen, it would happen a long time ago.
2: John agrees either way to keep track of his kid in Dan's absence. In the calm before the storm, Dan presents John with the badge of Texas Ranger.
0: What's this for? It's for you. Can't be shooting outlaws without it.
2: They see Collins moving far ahead of them, and he waves them up a hill. But as soon as they start to follow, we see the Cavendish gang all swarm into place, with Gatling guns and rifles and such. Collins must have made a deal with these men because there's no way he doesn't see them from this angle. Dan suggests a retreat the moment his gut tells him something's wrong, but it's too late. The men are all in the Cavendish crosshairs, and Butch gestures to his men to begin the assault. They start by pushing trailers overloaded with gunpowder. From the tops of cliffs causing massive explosions that jostle the rocks and scare the horses of the rangers they try to race away through the ensuing dust clouds and find themselves in the path of the cavendish gang gatling guns very quickly the whole pack of rangers are shot from their horses including dan and john one of the rangers gets his foot caught in the straps around his horse and he's dragged for a moment before breaking free it's always scary when that happens because it never looks on purpose
3: oh you think that it wasn't an intentional stunt
2: i don't know if it was or not but it doesn't look like something i would tell a stunt guy to do
3: uh i mean i think i feel like these horse guys do a lot of crazy Maybe. stuff like that
2: john and one of the older rangers are backed against a canyon wall firing on the cavendish gang as the older guy rattles off his ranger cred to john he ends his life story by informing john
0: all those years kid i learned one thing what was that it ain't the bullet to get you." it's the
2: fall implying that more people die from getting shot off of stuff than from just getting shot and right on cue the man takes a bullet in the gut and dies
3: sorry i was just going i was just that quote it's not the bullet that gets you it's the fall
2: mm-hmm. yeah
3: this doesn't make any sense to me
2: well i think he's saying that when people get shot they they die from like falling off their horse or from falling off a cliff or from falling off a train after getting shot more often than they die from the bullet wound.
3: Oh, okay. I mean, I just thought it was like I thought I thought he was joking cuz that's like the that's not how the quote goes.
1: How does the quote go?
3: It's not the fall that gets you, it's the landing.
1: Oh, okay. W- or it's the sudden stop. It's the sudden
3: stop. I wanted stop. to just
2: say the saying goes, two in the hand is worth one in the bush. <laughs> it's like no, that's backwards. No,
3: I'm just like uh, uh, like bullets and falls I don't think go as hand in hand as what I assume this
2: Those are the two things that killed everyone in the Wild West. Either falls or bullets. That's all there was.
1: What it should have been was, it's not the bullet that kills you, it's the fall. And it's not the fall that kills you, it's the sudden stop.
2: (laughs) And it's not the sudden stop that kills you, it's the shitty doctors we have out here.
3: (laughs) It's the infection when they try to remove that bullet after you fell down.
1: (laughs) Just cut off all his limbs.
2: (laughs) And throw him off another cliff
3: all these leeches we put on you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I think we're after leeches, or maybe we're not. Wait, know. are
2: these the man-eating leeches or the medicine leeches? <laughs> I keep them in the same bucket.
1: <laughs> I was thinking, a Family Guy when Brian's getting acupuncture, and <laughs> and he's got all these needles. He's like, he keeps going. Ah, sorry, doc. It's hard for me to relax. You have to keep the needles next to each other. And there's a box of poison poisoned needles and regular needles. <laughs> and the doctor goes, Why? What do they say? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now Dan and John are the only survivors of this mess, and they're both shot repeatedly. John is the last man moving around, cradling his dying brother as Butch Cavendish sets up to take the final shot. Cavendish hits Dan, leaving John to scream in agony at his brother's death, and then John is shot as well and collapses backwards silent. We're now 40 minutes into the movie, and we finally have our lone ranger. Collins, the mole from this squad of rangers, is instructed to check the bodies for signs of life and kill any survivors. Collins already feels super guilty about leading them to their deaths and tries to evade this command, but it's no use.
0: One thing about that Cavendish, he knew how to set a trap. And he finished off the Rangers that day in Bryant's Gap. And Collins had to check them all till Butch was satisfied. Dead men lying everywhere. Bloody Brothers side by side
1: you think they named it brian's gap after they came up with the song or they had it called brian's gap and then merle haggard had to rhyme it with trap
2: i don't think he wrote these rhymes oh god i hope not (laughs) i i have a feeling and i haven't been able to confirm this anywhere that the director let his grandchildren write the rhymes
3: i think they just they commissioned dr seuss yeah So, are you doing anything i have a western to write
2: still dead
3: (laughs) (laughs) was he dead by 81 he was not
2: dr seuss yeah yeah
3: i don't think so google it googling
2: he probably killed himself right after writing all these poems he
3: died in 91 same thing what no i'm right
2: (laughs) 10 years later is the same thing Cavendish instructs his second-in-command to shoot Collins, but it isn't a fatal wound.
0: It'd seem too coincidental if the only survivor wasn't wounded. Yes, sir, Major. Maybe we will give you a medal.
2: I really wanted them to shoot this guy once and then say it'd be too suspicious if the only survivor wasn't hurt. And then shoot him again and say, and even less suspicious if you all died.
0: I mean, I
3: was so sure. Like, why keep him alive at all? What is the point of that? I know. You want the
2: secret to get out?
3: I was certain when they pulled their guns out and they're like, it's real suspicious. I was like, oh, this guy's not going to make it. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess it's much like the sheriff that he has people on the inside and he's got someone in the sheriff's office he's got someone in the rangers. ranger's office
3: well and i suppose it's like you leave one alive to tell the tale right you know but
1: you don't want him to tell the
2: tale i guess you leave that one alive to say hey if you work for butch then he'll only shoot your leg <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't he'll shoot your face we cut to sometime later as a hawk screeches through the canyon and the camera pans across the rocks to stop on tonto with his horse he finds the ranger corpses and rides down to check on them and when he finds the brothers arm in arm he makes a determination that John is not yet dead. He also notices John is still wearing the necklace that he gave him as a child. Tonto carries John to a cave and performs surgery on the unconscious man to remove the bullet from his chest. He treats the wound with Native American herbs and spices no, I don't know, <laughs> and performs some sort of religious ceremony over John in the night. John seems to struggle with nightmares about the attack, calling out for Dan in his sleep. Tonto tries to calm John and refers to him again as Kimo Even in this almost unconscious state, the word strikes a chord in John's brain and he recognizes his old friend. Tonto.
0: Yes. And Tonto recognized John Reed by the amulet he wore. But John had once saved Tonto's life, so this evened up the score. Tonto had to hide his friend and keep him out of town. Because if Butch had known that one ranger lived, he was sure to hunt him down.
2: But another ranger lived, right? So there's two. So he's one of the Lone Rangers. How
1: do you pluralize the Lone (laughs) Ranger?
2: Which is obviously the spinoff of The X-Files starring the Lone Rangers.
1: That predicted 9-11.
2: That's right. Creepy. The next day... Tonto sits with the elders of his tribe and they complain that he would bring a white man here when the American government has done so much damage to their people.
0: Nobody has reason to fill their hearts with hatred for the white man more than I. He's taken from me my wife and my child. But the man I brought here is my brother. And I will protect his life with my own if I have to. And if I'm wrong, and he proves to be an enemy, then I, Tonto, decorate my lance with his white man's hair
2: seems like there's a lot of story there that we're not getting yeah why do we leave out the fact that he had family that were killed by the white man we, that should have been a scene right Mm-hmm. tonto leads john out to a nearby ravine to find a white stallion that seems trapped by the ravine's rocky walls
0: what is it that brings two friends together or sends the waves to the sand and what is it that drives a creature of nature to reach out to the world of man just such a creature was this great white horse as wise and as wild as a runaway and the moment john first laid eyes on him he swore he'd ride him someday come on (laughs) these are so bad
1: as wise as a runaway
0: what does that mean
2: also isn't it a runaway can you use a simile to describe something that it is
1: is it it's just a wild horse Isn't that, mean, doesn't guess, that make it a runaway I guess it, a runaway from what
3: there are the, the, wild horses that never grew up in captivity where
2: are it's parents <laughs> if it's but, not cohabitating yeah, with it's parents I mean, it's a runaway
3: um, and I guess I'm they sorry, did all come is from not the Spanish accurate. It depends how old the horse is it has reached the age of independence
2: how old was this horse to the day <laughs> go
1: well the, the horses in America wild horses were extinct and the spanish brought in all the horses is that true i believe so i believe all the wild horses that exist or are left over from the spanish that just got away and just started living out in the nature
3: that's possible i know there was a bunch of them in china in the
0: 1970s that's true
1: (laughs) 200 million
0: horses there were that many horses in china in the late 70s kathy
1: Yeah, early horses were extinct in North America, but when the Europeans came over, they brought brought them all over. And they just, the ones that got away or ran off in storms and things like that just made lives for themselves. Okay, so it's like. (laughs) Made lives
2: for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Picture them like applying at a fast food place. It's the
1: American dream. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry,
2: I don't have any money. Can I clean plates in the back? You're a fucking horse, dude. Get out of here.
1: (laughs) Just licking plates clean. It's a handicap.
2: (laughs) (laughs) dropping it on the floor.
3: (laughs) Alright, that's all the
2: plates. We can close up. No,
3: sir. I don't like it.
2: (laughs) Uh. John and Tonto build a ramp with branches to help the horse escape the ravine, and it races off ungratefully into the distance. We cut to some time later, and Reed is trying to shoot at targets. He's no good.
0: Maybe you need a bigger target like a sleeping buffalo
2: Tonto steps forward to offer john a silver bullet as in a bullet made completely out of silver with silver casing he insists that it's more accurate than a regular bullet and john lines up the shot and hits the bullseye on his second try
3: okay so dumb question um so like i know that there's the i don't know euphemism analogy i don't know what it's called when you say a silver bullet like it means like the thing that solves all your problems right
2: i don't know is that true
3: yeah i mean that's like that's a that's that's a term that people use right i was just wondering if that was something that existed before the lone ranger if it comes from the lone ranger or if it comes from like i don't know werewolves yeah
2: i think it's just something people (laughs) say in like highly trafficked werewolf areas
1: well i think i've brought up before that silver is like notoriously bad for certain creatures of myth yeah it affects uh,
2: vampires too right yeah
1: vampires don't like silver that's why the they reflection, don't have reflections because yeah. yeah early early mirrors were just polished uh. silver backings um so Which modern, is why that
2: doesn't make sense anymore it's correct they don't use silver for that
3: okay well i was just curious if if this was an origin if, if the lone ranger was the origin of the silver bullet being like the answer to your problems
2: no i think i think it it had existed in some form before that
1: also, he is shooting with his left hand because his right arm is still injured. Yeah. And so that could obviously be part of his problem with hitting the target is right. not shooting with his dominant hand. Because we'll see later he sh- he's accurately shooting with both hands. That's true.
3: Uh, okay. So idiom. Idiom is the term that I couldn't think of. Uh, the idiom of the silver bullet, I have just Googled it. Uh, in, Comes from the Lone Ranger. Uh, well, it may be that Sir Walter Scott, apparently, was the first one to use the idea in, in 1808, but uh, the term caught on in the first half of the 1900s because of, of a popular Western hero of the radio program, the Lone Ranger. So I think that I think that this did contribute to it, uh, but it wasn't until probably the latter half of the 1900s that it was used more figuratively as like a, a solution to your... Problems. Yeah,
2: I feel like I'm usually referencing Walter Scott when I say. Yeah, probably it. that yeah. makes
1: sense. When was Lawrence of Arabia written?
2: After it took place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lawrence. Lawrence. Lawrence of, of Arabia. Arabia.
2: He's an English
0: guy. Well,
1: only because I only mention that because uh he says that they can only kill me with a golden bullet.
2: Oh, does he? Yeah. Well, that's different, Richard.
3: <laughs> it's a different metal.
2: Also, I feel like a golden bullet wouldn't do it. But I would tell people that too, so that they thought <laughs> that worked. You'd
3: only kill me with a jello bullet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that kills me is a burrito. <laughs> I better not accidentally get fed a burrito by any of you assassins. <laughs> Tonto insists that the purity of the silver affects the bullet's ability to fly further and faster. He hands John a whole pocketful of silver bullets. We cut to John bathing in a cold river when the white horse comes back. John and Tonto follow the horse for a while, and Tonto remarks on the horse's beautiful fur.
0: He shines like the moon.
2: Life's silver. (laughs) John approaches the horse on foot, addressing it as Silver in a hushed voice. When Tonto sees John has calmed the horse, he brings out a saddle, and John mounts the animal. As soon as John is on the saddle, the horse goes crazy trying to throw him off, and eventually succeeds, dropping John in the dust john climbs back on and continues the process of breaking the horse and this time silver races out to a cliff over the edge of a lake and slams to a stop tossing john over his head into the water this was a pretty cool stunt
1: yeah but this whole sequence was done in slow motion yeah. and it goes on for over three minutes does it really it's like three minutes of slow motion of him getting on and off the horse and and he never successfully breaks it no like, he doesn't yeah. on camera so it's really unsatisfying <laughs>
2: We cut to John dual-wielding with silver bullets and knocking the arrows and feathers off of a row of arrows stabbed through a tree. Tonto informs John that when he found him, he was looking for a team of men that raided his village, likely the Cavendish gang, and John agrees to join him in tracking these men down. That night, John announces a plan. They will return to Bryant's Gap to bury the five fallen rangers with a sixth, empty headstone marking his own name.
1: But that doesn't make any sense, because someone would have had to have buried them
2: yeah well whoever found them buried them would be the implication
1: right
3: but somebody knows how many bodies were there originally right
2: well yeah but everybody knows that six men went after them mm. but the problem is there should only be five graves because collins didn't die there
3: or were there seven guys on the
2: i thought there were six he will maintain the element of surprise so long as cavendish thinks him dead
1: is it can then does it count as faking your own death if you survived
2: Yes, that's you can't not die if you're
3: faking your own death. <laughs> if you death.
1: actually die, you failed. You're no, not, no, you're reeling <laughs> I mean, your me, own death. Me faking your death is is setting up for yourself to pretend to die, so it looked like you died. He didn't. He 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 didn't intend to get right, shot but, okay, and pretend to die.
2: There were people who faked their own death when nine eleven happened, and they left town and they let people think that they died in nine eleven. So okay. this is this is the same thing as that.
3: Because they didn't set up the thing that supposedly
1: killed
2: them. But they let it look like their death.
1: Got it. All right, I'm on board.
2: We cross dissolve to John as he speaks to his brother's grave, promising revenge. He turns around for a dramatic reveal of the Lone Ranger's iconic mask, and the William Tell overture strikes up, which served as the opening and closing theme to the original series. Did I mention that it looks completely ridiculous? Because it does. And the whole reason they cast this guy is because they said that the mask didn't look stupid on him.
1: Great reason. (laughs) It's a great reason to do it.
2: Yeah, you spend eight months looking for the right guy and you're like, that looks less stupid. Sure, hear it.
3: So were they fully admitting that the mask is just dumb? Yeah, and they
2: also (laughs) said that the distance between your eyes makes a huge difference in how ridiculous you look wearing one of those masks. And so he just had... The right separation of eyes but the mask still looks stupid and suddenly he's wearing this big cowboy hat and he just looks totally goofy and ridiculous yeah the william tell overture is actually more famous now as the lone ranger theme than it is as the overture of the opera william tell about the swiss folk hero who supposedly shot an apple off the head of his son with a crossbow to avoid a public execution in an interview promoting the film producer walter koblenz said this is not blazing saddles When he puts on the mask, you're going to believe it. And was he wrong?
1: (laughs) I want to watch Blazing Saddles. (laughs) Yeah.
2: They cram the rest of the Lone Ranger's famous imagery into the same five seconds of the film with a shot of the Lone Ranger silhouetted against the sunset riding his trusty horse Silver, who rears up on his hind legs as he utters the catchphrase, Hi-ho, Silver! The Lone Ranger and Tonto race past Vasquez Rocks and we see them in profile for a slow-motion shot but because the background is just sky, it looks very fake. There are now 38 minutes left in the film, and the hero we've been waiting for is finally taking shape. Haggard introduces the third act.
0: Now John Reed was just a memory. The Masked Man had taken his place. But that doesn't mean his heart wasn't touched when he saw Amy Stryker's face. Amy had stayed to do her uncle's work and to keep his dreams alive. But unless the Masked Man could find Cavendish, True justice would never survive.
2: The Lone Ranger wears a mask to visit the turncoat Collins in a mostly empty bar. The brave
0: survivor of Bryant's Gap. <sighs> That's right.
2: He asks Collins what it was like and if Cavendish was leading the bandits and Collins claims not to know before mocking the mask.
0: I want you to take me to Cavendish. How would I know Cavendish? You led the Rangers to him and now you're going to lead me to him.
2: Oh, you're one of the Rangers and you survived. Because only you would know that. The ranger asks Collins how they paid him, but Collins won't admit anything until John drops his badge on the table, and Collins realizes that another ranger survived the slaughter. Ironic, as Collins was put in charge of assuring they were all killed. While the lone ranger continues interrogating Collins, a gun peeks around the corner of the bar, and all Collins can say is, what train before he's shot in the heart
0: a train he wants a
2: train just as collins collapses sheriff wyatt enters with a few other men and they blame the scene on the masked man who is no longer here on his way out wyatt informs tonto that he'll hang alone in the absence of his friend so i guess he just left tonto outside while he did this
1: or, or tonto was in the room and was he yeah it's, but and it's tonto like,
2: didn't leave with him
1: yeah i know <laughs> it's like a dick move Just
2: like oh bye We cut to Cavendish with a full model train set to plan an attack. As he points to various train cars on the track, he labels the last one the presidential car and we are reminded that Grant is coming to town. Comically, this is not the only western, wherein Christopher Lloyd demonstrates a plan of action with a model train.
0: (laughs) I apologize for the crudity of this model, but I just- Yeah, no, Doc. It's not the scale. It's okay, Doc.
2: The plan here seems to involve the president's train entering a tunnel through a large mountain and presumably being trapped inside somehow. We cut to Tonto in a jail cell, listening to the bloodthirsty crowd outside, who seem to blame him for something important. I don't know what. They killed. They killed.
1: He killed Collins.
2: But they know that he didn't kill Collins. They they said your friend killed Collins, so I guess you're gonna hang alone.
1: Yeah, but he's they, that's the justice. That's their mob justice.
2: I guess. Wyatt tells three men from the crowd that they are welcome to retrieve the prisoner and walk him to the gallows. As they collect him, one says, "There's
0: only one kind of good Indian."
2: Do you guys recall the last time we heard a character say that?
3: Uh, Mountain Man?
2: No. It was present day for
3: 1980. Oh, um, it was, uh, that, uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Yep. What was the name of that movie?
1: Bronco Billy?
2: Bronco Billy.
3: Thank
0: you.
2: The only good end is a dead end. For some reason, Merle Haggard pipes up again here.
0: I don't guess anyone stopped to ask what Tonto was guilty of. That didn't stop him from wanting to see him swinging high above. But Tano showed no sign of fear, and he held on to a fervent hope that the masked man wouldn't let his blood brother hang from the end of a road."
2: All the rhyming has been terrible so far, but this is probably the worst section. Apparently Haggard was pretty pissed about having to record these because he didn't even like the original song because they weren't his lyrics. And he, they had, it was like pulling teeth to get him to record all these balladier moments.
3: Then was he contractually obligated?
2: I guess. Oh God, or it was something where like, he thought nah. he wanted to make changes to it and they were like, no, no, no. We trust my just, grandchildren more than we trust Just do
3: one with the original lyrics right. and yeah. then they used it, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> you do your better version and then we'll get one just how it is just, on the page.
3: Just for safety, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
2: I was absolutely certain that Tonto would die in this scene, so it was very tense and dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but completely unexpectedly, the Lone Ranger shoots the rope, and Tonto makes a run for it. The Lone Ranger races through town atop Silver, the horse, and collects his friend before they ride off into the distance. Nobody makes any effort to stop Tonto from leaving. Nope. Nobody follows them away. Nothing. They just He just rides in the middle of town, stops, his buddy gets on the horse, and they continue on.
1: And not one person says, who was that masked man? (laughs) And I was waiting for it this whole time.
0: Those Cavendish boys have been working real hard going over each step of their plan. Meanwhile, old Butch was mighty disturbed by reports of the strange masked man. Why?
2: Why would he care about that? What does that have to do with him? Hey, Butch, there's a guy with a mask. Okay.
1: He killed Collins dot 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 not hey, that you they care. don't know that
3: <laughs> well yeah because they I, blame
1: tonto for it
3: and i guess that Co- collins wouldn't have had a time to relay any of that like that hey this guy there's a guy that knows about you well i
2: guess they had a gunman in the room that shot collins yeah so while he was talking to the masked man
1: agreed yeah so collins did give information to a person who might be able to put it together yeah but it's a stretch
0: but he wouldn't let rumors mess up his scheme so he set out on his final campaign. He and his boys rode to the rendezvous with President Grant's private train.
2: We cut back to the offices of the Del Rio dispatch, where Miss Stryker is being collected by a young girl to speak with a new padre at the church. Apparently she's inherited the responsibility of sending messages through town from her deceased older brother.
3: Uh, her uncle?
2: No, I'm talking about the little girl that brought the message that she
1: had to go to the church
3: oh sorry hmm. i thought you're <laughs> so confused
2: <laughs> it's okay i said the, the, it very well, confusingly
1: well this whole scene is very confusing because it plays it does nothing yeah it's
2: not necessary we cut to grant's train chugging through the hills and we get our first glimpse of grant as played by jason robards in a diner car general rodriguez enters the car and grant introduces him to the other passengers and says the general will join them on their upcoming hunt Moving around the car, Grant introduces the general to Wild Bill Hickok, as played by Richard Farnsworth, Buffalo Bill Cody, and Brigadier George Custer. Grant makes Custer change seats to make room for the general, threatening to send him to Montana if he doesn't. This is one of those obnoxious scenes where a screenwriter just tried to think of as many historical figures who coexisted as possible to put Mm -hmm. them in a scene together. It's fine in a comedy, but it feels really forced in an action-adventure movie. Then you couple that with one of these future jokes because Custer will die in Montana and unless Grant knows that somehow, the threat makes no sense. (laughs) I'm going to send you to Montana. Okay, like all of America is like Montana right now, so great. In the church in Del Rio, Amy finds the new padre who unsuspiciously hides his face while he tells her that her writings for the dispatch are very brave. He tells her the story of the masked man who fights for justice. He delivers a message from that man promising to track down the cavendish gang he asks her in the meantime to cool it with the articles so that she doesn't get killed but she refuses they move to a nearby confessional to resume the conversation which is really where they should have started talking Mm -hmm. because this move is completely unmotivated she mentions a prior engagement to welcome the president and the padre is surprised to hear that grant is arriving today
0: yes he is arriving here on the afternoon train today yes Although I suspect the children are more eager to see Buffalo Bill than they are to see the president.
2: He tells her in a whisper that she should have left for San Francisco instead of taking up her father's work. She suspects too late who she might be speaking with, and the padre has disappeared from the adjacent booth of the confessional. All she finds in his wake is a silver bullet that he left behind as a calling card just to announce, Hey, I'm the masked man who I said was so great. We see the Cavendish gang riding alongside the tracks ahead of Grant's train. Then we cut away to the Lone Ranger and Tonto racing to catch up with them. The Cavendish gang climb aboard the outside of the train as it passes a water tower. Inside the train, Grant is reading his speech to his friends to get their opinions. He gets a round of applause for his mediocre speech. Grant complains that the last time he came through these fields, they were thick with buffalo, but he hasn't seen a single one on this trip.
0: Tony, what after? i shot him, <laughs> I shot him.
2: <laughs> lol you came all this way for no reason
0: now now here here gentlemen Play to the buffalo and the american indian in these times is no laughing matter now with that uh you'll excuse me i think i'll take a short nap
2: i'm from the future i am woke grant i'm surprised <laughs> he didn't say native americans just to make grant sound less racist <laughs> One of the Cavendish gang fires a flare over the train to get Butch's attention. The train enters the tunnel from Cavendish's model, and suddenly we hear some metallic scratching sounds inside. The last train car, the president's car, rolls backwards out of the tunnel. What just happened? I mean, I get that they disconnected the president's car, but how did they shove it in the opposite direction so fast?
1: Well, they're, they're on an incline it would so, have to
2: be a pretty steady incline for the thing not to follow yeah. the train out of the other side of this rock
1: also how did they know that the president was in that car that's true like i i thought the the whole point was to stop the whole train so you have the train with the president because yeah because if you just attach cars it's like well, what what happened if that car rolls all the way up and it's like a lord helmet moment from space balls like he's not in here yeah (laughs) it's like he had
2: just stepped into the other car yeah whoops
1: like i I get it they have men on the train but they none of them appear to be in a position to spot grant in any any case
3: they don't seem to go into the train at all yeah and also i feel like i don't remember how many it was four or six guys all jumping on the train but at different locations Mm -hmm. like why bother like why why not all just get on at one of those places yeah. why did you have to spread out
1: it, it's a two man at most operation to me just to decouple the car and then someone to activate the manual brake and stop the car yeah but uh all these other guys like they're one, one of them like they jump under the tinder it's like yeah hey, a few y-
2: of them look like they almost don't land it right yeah like one of the guys looks like he almost falls off
1: but but Although, but it's like there's just too many guys involved here, and that's why I thought for sure, oh, they're going to take the whole train. And also,
2: it's been inconsistent over the course of these two years of Westerns where can you hear the person walking on the top of the train or can't you? Mm. Especially if they're jumping from a height. I would think you would hear this person crashing onto the roof of your train car. But I expected them to do something more like the Doolin-Dalton gang from Catalani where they, like, either set a fire on the track in the tunnel... Or they, like, block it off with rocks on one side so that the train engineer has to stop Mm. and then they just fill rocks in on the backside and they have the president trapped.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, filling the whole tunnel up with smoke so that everyone's, like, choking and gagging when they come out so that they're disoriented and then you could take the train pretty quickly. Or even just do, like, the... the, uh, briscoe county junior knockout gas just yeah, have, yeah, yeah have the whole tunnel filled with crazy knockout gas
2: was there crazy knockout gas that was reliably not fatal at the time uh, i, I guess know. it doesn't matter you just have to write letters saying we have grant <laughs> and and just don't specify if he's alive or not
1: you couldn't do proof of life how would you do it
2: you would have Send to show a finger <laughs> how do we know this is grant's finger i can get you toe by the end of the day with nail polish why did Grant wear nail polish? <laughs>
1: just going to say, if that's Grant's color, all right.
2: <laughs> the Cavendish gang flip the tracks so the president's car will take a turn off of the regular passage. Grant finally awakens from his nap, and he notices that he's headed in the wrong direction and no longer connected to his train. The gang tightens the brakes on the presidential car to slow it down for the track switch. Grant sees the gang out the rear door of his car and he takes a big swig of his drink before stepping out to greet them.
3: I feel like they were super confident in this train stopping because yeah. they're like all standing on the tracks and they don't mm-hmm. budge. And I'm like, I wouldn't trust that momentum to run out right where you're standing.
2: Yeah, there's <laughs> other things that could be bad, too. Uh, I was just realizing that if those other three guys were still in the car, it's like, do you want Buffalo Bill Cody and yeah. Wild Bill Hickok like riding up on you? You're just standing there waiting for them.
3: Yeah, like, it just it seems weirdly coincidental that he decided to take a nap alone yeah. in the last car of the train. Maybe that was all
2: factored into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's going to take a nap around here. Do you guys recall the last time we witnessed the kidnapping of the
1: president? <laughs> was it the kidnapping of the president? That's
2: right. Cavendish introduces himself.
0: I am Major Bartholomew Cavendish. And you, Mr. President, are my prisoner
1: he would know who he is. He court-martialed him.
0: He doesn't, though.
1: So Cavendish
0: had pulled it off and vanished without firing a shot. The masked man and Tono had to move fast and ride while his trail was still hot. They didn't know what he intended to do, but the life at stake was President Grant's. Perhaps Butch would hold him. Perhaps Butch would kill him. They just couldn't take that chance what chance i don't know
2: it's, it's not made clear in this <laughs> in this valid <ballad. laughs> like
1: he would hold him or kill like they couldn't take the chance of him holding him or take the chance of him killing him
2: yeah it was a 50 percent shot and they were like well if he dies then a different guy's president and they have no hostages <laughs> hmm that's i the, wonder what we should do that's the
1: whole concept
2: that was the problem with the kidnapping of the president in that movie we were like but wait The president is a terrible person to kidnap because he loses his power as soon as he's kidnapped, and then if you kill him, you don't have a hostage, and it doesn't matter, and it doesn't change anything except for who the president is. But he still has to take orders from the same underground cabal that gives every president their orders. Right? We all know this. Mm -hmm. When they arrive outside the Cavendish camp, Tonto asks who they're here for.
0: Tell me one thing. Are you here to rescue Grant? Or to get Cavendish.
2: Por que no los dos?
3: Oh my god, that was literally what, <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Grant tells Cavendish he doesn't recall signing his court martial papers, and Cavendish assures him that it was unwarranted. Outside, the Lone Ranger uses silver like a counterweight in a pulley system. He throws his rope over the top of the gate around Cavendish camp, and as the horse backs up, Loney is lifted toward the top of the wall. Loney climbs down the other side i'm sorry i can't keep saying the lone ranger (laughs) butch finally reveals his wish list to grant
0: you and the united states will notice my country republic of new texas the manifest destiny of the united states will be impaired only slightly major cabinet you are a diseased son of a bitch
2: I love that the presidents in these scenes always just tell their captives to fuck off. Like, yeah, Hal yeah. Holbrook did the same thing. He was just, I don't care. I don't care what you have to say.
1: Well, uh, I'm, I've been waiting for a, a, an appropriate moment to bring this up. Uh, I guess there really isn't one. So I will just start now. Uh, I'm gay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Richard? Uh, how much that the Will Smith, Wild Wild West movie parallels oh, this film. Wow. Wow
2: oh my gosh
1: uh it it is incredible i was thinking about it the entire time that's funny um it's all
2: train based and yeah
1: so it's both plots involve kidnapping grant in order to acquire to hold him hostage to get territory right um both when grant is confronted with the villain makes like an like i am not threatened by you kind of joke or comeback. uh buddy picture with two guys uh the yeah, we already mentioned like the the whole plot involving a train, the giant spider where, where, yeah yeah the giant spider the most <laughs> dangerous animal in the animal kingdom uh, <laughs> uh you know again like you mentioned that they're both involving trains um i i was just like astounded that like so many of these oh the, both both villains are uh disgraced Union soldiers well well uh is he a confederate in, that? He, in our, our list Loveless is a conf, what is a confederate oh, okay but but he's coming back for revenge and getting revenge on yeah by by way of using grant to get land
2: who plays grant
1: um well that's what's i was gonna bring up my next great point <laughs> because grant <laughs> all my
2: points are so great
1: yeah it's just so, so much fun uh, <laughs> uh because kevin klein this is one of my kevin klein trilogy yeah uh in which kevin klein plays a character
2: and the president
1: and well and plays a different character and at one point the first character dresses up and pretends to be the second character okay as part of the plot um and but two of them are the president yeah because dave in this yeah and, and wild, wild west he plays both artemis gordon and president grant
2: oh okay that's awesome Lonnie and Tonto approach a building in the camp and hide briefly as a guard passes. The man hears them exploring the camp, and they stumble upon a powder shack full of TNT. We cut to Butch and Grant, seated across the dining table from each other. There are so many candelabras between them, they can barely see each other. It reminds me of Galaxina from last year, <laughs> which I'm told was actually a reference to the original Solaris. Butch reads Grant, a letter that he intends to deliver to Congress, demanding the territory of the entire state of Texas in exchange for Grant's life. This is the worst plan I've ever heard of. Grant's only recommendation after hearing the letter is to not give Congress so much time because he knows how they have a tendency to argue with each other if you give it to them. In the middle of the night, Tonto and the Lone Ranger surprise Sheriff Wyatt in his sleep. They ask where the president is being held, and he pretends not to know what they're talking about until Tonto threatens to scalp him, and he admits Grant is in the next room. How does the sheriff just hang out at the bad guy's place? Aren't you the sheriff of a town a bunch of miles that way? What are you doing here all the time?
1: Does he ride here every night to sleep?
2: Yeah. Is this your room? Do you (laughs) share, like, do you bunk up with all these weirdos? Tonto knocks Wyatt unconscious before he can alert anyone else. The daring duo wake Grant in the next room, and to earn his trust, they provide him with a gun, insisting they're here to help. The next morning, Tonto, the Lone Ranger, and President Grant Light fuses on bundles of TNT all over the camp.
3: Why, Why was it the they just next morning? Yeah. <laughs> what, did <laughs> Why did they take wait a nap?
2: Hours and hours and I hours. I guess
3: Grant is known for napping.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he just finished his nap before he was kidnapped.
3: Kidnapped. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the napping of the president.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all, all I can all I can think of is they wake Grant and like they're waiting outside Grant's door. And it's like, what is taking him so long?
2: (laughs) He's just like, (laughs) sorry,
1: I had a lot of water at dinner. They, just, they open the door and they just find him in a chair like
3: Sigh. he fell asleep again it's not like it's like the the wee hours of the morning <laughs> no
1: it's like it looks like <laughs> almost like the noon middle of the day. and there's only
2: one fucking guy outside like from the from the gang yeah but there's three idiots just running around in in just wide open spaces lighting the fuses on all this tnt and the one guard doesn't notice them
3: the rate at which these fuses are burning yeah. is like <laughs> really like three
2: minute fuses I th-
3: <laughs> like I really realized that like i was like oh okay yeah you're giving yourself enough time with this fuse to light like two or three of these and then Mm. they light like 10 of them i'm like there is not that much time on these
2: fuses is this even tnt (laughs) are you guys lighting candles all over the park
3: (laughs) the one in the box that's going down the river
1: yeah
2: (laughs) tonto even lights (laughs) some fuses on small rafts that he releases into the river that runs through the camp for some reason tonto releases the gang's horses and somehow a lookout notices this but not the escape of their lone captive, and he rings a bell to get everyone's attention. Grant starts shooting at the lookout, and the guy seems really interested in continuing to ring the bell, considering there's bullets shooting past him and the wall is exploding all around him. It's like, dude, let go of the bell. They heard it already. Reminds, get down.
3: This reminds me of the the Zelda game, you know, we were talking about that earlier. It's like, oh, you gotta get to shoot the guy that's blowing his horn on the oh, top of the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the thing. <laughs>
2: Grant starts shooting at the lookout, and then they make their way to some of the escaped horses. The TNT begins erupting everywhere, and Cavendish is completely flabbergasted. He's still able to shoot Grant's horse out from under him, but Grant hops on the back of the Lone Ranger's horse, which is not Silver here, because Silver's still parked outside of the camp walls. Mm-hmm. As everything explodes around them, the Lone Ranger ditches President Grant in some kind of aqueduct-looking structure, maybe it's just a footbridge, I'm not sure what this thing is.
0: Hey, where the hell are you going and leaving me?
2: You're safer here, Mr.
0: President. Yeah, but I can help you. I've been in a few battles myself, son. Now you're a president, so keep your head down.
2: Cavendish just sort of meanders in a daze throughout the chaos. The floating bomb reaches the wall built over the river and it is obliterated. When the wall blocking the river explodes, all the president's men come riding through the opening behind silver. They're all carrying a giant American flag. It's the 37-star flag, and I checked it's historically accurate to the Grant administration. He was the middle president to serve under that flag. The soldiers face off against the Cavendish gang, along with Buffalo Bill, while Bill Hickok also takes out a bunch of gunmen in the canyon.
3: How did they find him? Like, did they did did the Lone Ranger and Tonto like coordinate with these guys? They're like, okay, on the way to saving the president, stop off. Say, hey yeah. guys, we're gonna like blow open the gates to this place that you've never been before. So just stand by.
1: But and- not until the morning.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but wait till tomorrow. We'll see. You maybe there. they
2: maybe they left and found the guys in the night and then came back to finish lighting fuses. The oh my dynamite. god, did we plant all that dynamite and not light it? Oh, we gotta go back, right? <laughs> They have the gang on the run and Butch makes a move for a horse to escape on. The Lone Ranger whistles for Silver to chase Cavendish. The William Tell overture strikes up again as a chase ensues. Moving up a hill, the Lone Ranger leaps off his horse toward Butch and the two men roll down a hill together. They just punch it out back and forth for a while until Cavendish draws a knife, which is stupid because the Lone Ranger still has two guns holstered. It looks like they're fighting at the mouth of the Bat Cave, but I can't really tell exactly where they are because the shots are very tight. The Lone Ranger knocks Cavendish to the ground and slowly loads a pistol with silver bullets in case he's a werewolf. He puts the gun in Butch's face and then pulls back the hammer. Do it! The Lone Ranger puts the gun away and we cut right to him delivering Cavendish bound on horseback to President Grant. Grant orders the prisoner taken away and turns to ask the Lone Ranger his name.
0: May I know, sir, to whom I'm so indebted? Mr. President, please allow me to remain anonymous. I hope you'll understand. Well, I respect your dedication, and I will honor your request.
2: I'm not sure I understand the point of being anonymous. If you have nobody to protect,
3: yeah. So now Cavendish was attacked by a masked man. Specifically, like now right. that has happened. So Cavendish, the only guy you were hiding from, is equally would be equally looking after you, looking for you, if you yeah. were a masked man, as if he knows your name.
2: But now he can take the mask off and be himself forever. Oh, yeah. wait, no, because Cavendish also wants to kill you without the mask. Yeah. So you're screwed. Find another mask. Can I get one of these but in blue? That's him at the mask shop again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, then, well, then don't the mask colors mean different things? Like yeah, in left
2: pocket, right pocket. Grant offers his gratitude to Tonto as well, but Tonto doesn't want a simple
0: thanks. Thank me by honoring your treaties with my people. Yes we will try
1: i can't promise i'll try but i'll try to try <laughs> <laughs> That's what he
2: should have said. Uh, tonto and the lone ranger turn and ride off toward the sunset as grant grips a silver bullet in his hand and asks his friends who is that masked man grant you just said you were going to honor his request for anonymity and then immediately asked who he was <laughs> yeah this doesn't bode well for the promises you just made tonto also i think the quote usually goes who was that masked man which makes just as much sense here i don't know why they wouldn't use the standard who was that masked man do you guys recall the last time we heard someone misquote who was that masked man nope gorp
3: Uh, i have erased that movie from my memory
2: bible louie runs up to the camera and he says and and then as he runs away we can see he's naked and a voice from off screen says who
0: is that masked man?
2: we get more slow motion footage of the lone ranger and tonto riding through the plains against the blue sky we see a montage of the events of the entire film play with 50% opacity against the footage of them riding and merle haggard's man in the mask song plays us out to credits the end that's the legend of the lone ranger guys
3: (sighs) yeah i think that they made some mistakes
2: I definitely prefer the 2013 one to the 1981 one.
3: For sure.
1: I have not watched that.
2: Is it, I liked it. Is it worth watching? You know,
3: I... Uh,
2: it's slow in the middle.
3: Honestly, if you had replaced Johnny Depp in that movie, I would have said it was actually pretty darn good. I didn't like Johnny Depp in that movie.
2: Yeah, because he's being the comic relief. He's like a mime the whole time.
3: Yeah, he's. it's just I think he was the wrong choice. But everything else about that movie I think is pretty solid. Um, But this one I think suffered from... Trying to be, like the the TV show. I think it was right. try. It was trying to honor the TV shows too much. It wasn't enough of an '80s movie, if you ask me. Like it was it. It was a little bit boring yeah. and 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 super predictable because they just kind of recycled to, stuff yeah they tried they tried to be true to the story which is fine and and, and maybe there was enough fans out there that would have liked that yeah but w- what i would have liked more is the 80s version of this movie yeah. you know just in the same way that the 2013 one was definitely this it's the same story in the same concept but a modern take but it was much more action-packed and um you know and and gritty and real and all of those things that this one wasn't
2: yeah yeah, I feel like if you'd ask someone, hey, um, did you hear they're making Legend of the Lone Ranger based on the TV show? Can you guess how that would go from one scene to the next for the yeah. entire plot? It would be like, yes, and I will get it completely correct. Yeah. Um, And they tried to like up the ante and make it more interesting by having them kidnap the president um, when it should have just been like a town at stake because the fact that it's the president is completely irrelevant. It's just kind of... Oh, we had him for almost 12 hours and then you got him back. Good job. Yeah,
3: but if you had told me that this was literally a recycled uh, plot from the television show or from the radio, uh, I would have 100% believed you. I'm like, yeah, of course it is. This is totally like this week on the Lone Ranger the president's coming to tell. You know,
1: like I would have believed it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it probably is.
1: Um, Watching this movie, I thought a lot about the... Antonio Banderas mask of Zorro as far as as far as uh, bringing older characters to life uh while that plot was different in that it's older Zorro handing off the mask to a younger person to play Zorro right uh the stakes are not as big as the president it's it's you know this gold mining uh slave labor thing that's going on yeah uh but I feel like that progression of becoming zoro was a much more interesting progression than the lone ranger because he's not a gunman he's not like uh, he had combat training when he was a child right and then he went to detroit and presumably became an, an attorney, attorney and yeah.
2: intended to fight his battles with words and yeah. legislation
1: uh so the, the the montage of him now i can shoot again it's like could you shoot before I don't remember you being able to do that.
2: Yeah.
3: But, like, it seems really weird to to have the character both be known for silver bullets and also not wanting to kill people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, I don't what understand. Is the point What is the point of being so great at shooting if, if you're we, always shooting around people? Yeah, if you're
3: not shooting at people. I mean, I guess you or used just it to, like, them. cut Tonto down from the gallows. What if they're but,
2: silver bullets because they actually are really terrible at shooting? Like... They're, they're very accurate, but they don't even break the skin because they just flatten out. Well, like then
3: a, the idiom is wrong.
2: Well, I mean, silver isn't as soft as gold, but it is a softer metal than what bullets are made out of.
3: Well, bullets are, lead's pretty soft. Yeah. Isn't it?
1: it was, it's, but it's very dense.
3: Yeah, it's heavy, but it's soft.
2: Yeah, that's true. Anyway... Yeah, this movie is not as good as even Flash Gordon last year. Like I love Flash Gordon, and I feel like that does what you're talking about, where it really embraces the '80s in a fun For way. For sure,
3: that's totally. And I think that that, even if 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 it wasn't a like beloved movie at the time, m- making this movie in the '80s fashion probably would have made it a cult classic. Sure, at least. if it were campier. Than exactly. It is. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. And and I think that you could have embraced that style um but they were you know it just it just felt like it, it felt like a tv movie it just felt yeah, bland
2: i actually blame the directing a lot um because so many of these scenes are so weirdly composed and like you have the this wide west to play with mm-hmm. and there's so many shots that are really really tight where you don't even get and they clearly shot in monument valley but we never just get a straight on shot of like that the classic wide shot of monument valley with all yeah. the buttes and and even from there on it's like always really tight where there's like one rock formation or the corner of one in right. the background um some of the stuff in in bryant's gap looked pretty cool but yeah. outside of that everything is so claustrophobic every room yeah. they're in is tiny
3: well and i think it was a big miss in terms of like character development caring about these characters because we don't get th- there's a couple of things that happen you know that are that are really you know sad that that in theory we should care about yeah. you know that he mm-hmm. can but we're
2: not dwelling on but it but he can't
3: be with the woman that he loves and he's lost his brother and like you know we 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 do all these things that that should that should have an emotional impact but we don't ever really get to know this character well enough to to we never give him a moment to uh you know like grieve about his brother and or you know grieve about losing the woman that he loves because he has to seek this revenge like we just don't focus on the emotions like it's very Mm -hmm. much about the plot
0: yeah
1: the plot is very problematic to me in that having even if the president agreed signed over a document saying that you own texas you don't have the force to hold it right like, the you, you're going to let Grant go because he said you own Texas. He'll go back. He'll bring in the entire army and take Texas back from you. Yeah.
3: Also, it's no loss to lose Texas. I think we'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. Let Texas go.
1: But with the Wild Wild West movie, the threat of being able to hold the territory that they were taking is very real because he's got the hundred foot tall giant mechanical spider that shoots rockets
2: right i mean like which I, made perfect sense yeah That's for the time period
1: like I, I i i fully believe that dr Lovelace would be able to hold the territory with inventions like these at his at, at his control once it, it was surrendered
2: now how much of the u.s was he asking for in that
1: film? oh he was asking for pretty much like the louisiana everything. purchase <laughs> um yeah so uh, why not
2: just attack washington dc with these things yeah and just say there i took over the country
1: uh he he was giving the original 13 colonies back to the british he was giving uh florida back to spain what
2: is he getting in return for these deals are Uh, they providing everything
1: so yes so he had made back backroom deals with the the royal british royal family the spanish royal family mexico he was going to give california texas all that back to mexico and he, so he's just getting
2: like the flyover states to hang out in well
1: no he's he's get yeah louisiana Purchase is going back to france and then he's getting the pacific northwest from from <laughs> it's
2: just like this is the price i paid for oregon
1: <laughs> uh and and those would like those nations would be reestablished in this new world interesting um that 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 is the plan and it, like i said like it's crazy plan it's, it's a super villain plan but i believe that he could pull it off because he has the force
2: yeah well uh, that's i mean super villainy works really well with crowdfunding yeah i guess
1: uh but cavendish with his army of maybe 20 men yeah he's going to hold the entire state of texas under his control
2: well texas is notoriously unarmed they they had laws at the time that you were not allowed to not have a gun
1: uh yeah so i I don't really get the follow-through of this plan yeah they went too big they went too big and i feel that they also they they should have cast a name as the lone ranger right
2: yeah i think that's the biggest lesson is that if you wanted us to care about this person from the from the get-go without writing a reason for us to care about him then he needed to be an actor we already knew because i'm not going to care about a stranger that much right off the bat but i I, it's a thumbs down for me
3: oh yeah thumbs down
1: yeah it's a thumbs down i i have nothing further to add
2: letterbox what are you thinking jess
3: all right i have it at 38 out of 67 okay uh it is below nighthawks and above death hunt
1: All right, Richard? No, I'd rather watch that. All right, Um, I have it at number 41, uh, which puts it below Going Ape, which I would (laughs) rather watch, (laughs) Uh, and above The Nesting.
2: All right, I have it in 32 out of 67, which puts it below Eyewitness and just above Bloody Birthday. Oh, here's another question. What is the point of the Amy Stryker character, other than to name a character after... The guy who created the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she like you called her the love interest, but she's only the love interest for the length of one kiss, mm-hmm. in at like well, the thirteen yeah, but, minute mark. And
3: that's that's what I'm saying is the is the problem is like that's definitely the the role that she's supposed to be playing, and there's, yeah. and the, and there and there's supposed to be a, a sense of loss, I think, because he can't be with her because I, of this choice that he has to make. But we don't get. We don't really get that storyline developed.
2: Yeah, I feel like that doesn't come across at all. Like she might as well have been any other woman he's ever been on a carriage mm-hmm. with because obviously they're all going to fall for him because he's dreamy. And yeah. then he's going to kiss them later with a book.
1: Yeah, that's why I don't like this whole unmarked grave plot. I think.
2: Uh, I mean, that's the original story, the unmarked grave thing.
1: Oh, is it okay? Yeah, yeah. Because like, I, 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 think it would have been interesting to, you know, or at least have the the town, you know, saying like, oh, we could we couldn't find the bodies, or no one's willing to go out the bodies, so we just have these graves here and have yeah. her like mourning, yeah, over his grave just for a moment.
3: Well, this probably suffers from the being an origin story movie of something that was meant to be a serial. You know, like it it, it was meant to to develop. Slowly over time, and they only did the first sort of, you know, yeah. th- the introduction of the Lone Ranger. Like, how did he, you know, come to be? So, we but they just took too long with yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't, and get it wasn't any entertaining enough.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, again, that's um, that's why I feel like the Mask of Zorro is a much more, it's a much more entertaining film with a minor love story. It's 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 a little weak, but you know, yeah, um, it's fine. And I feel like there's much more. You're much more invested in what the villains are doing um there's like you know bo- mini boss battles like yeah. it's like it's like oh i want to kill this guy and this guy it's like there, there's a lot going on in that plot and i i feel like that yeah. there's not enough in this plot
3: yeah it would have been way more interesting to sort of come in later in the lone rangers uh, story like and and we just get glimpses flashbacks of his origin just, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and really quickly to you know catch us up for those of us who didn't know yeah. yeah
2: and if we didn't know it could have been like a twist where you're like oh god he was one of those six rangers that died and it turns out he didn't die
1: or or that cavendish's men were running his family off their land to yeah. get the land but literally like, the but,
2: first scene should have been them at Bryant's gap that what? should have opened the film
3: yeah, was it was it Cavendish's people? Like, I mean, it's never said. Okay, because like, yeah, we don't really come back to that aside from the fact that he was orphaned and raised raised by Indians.
2: Yeah, I think there was a draft, or possibly a, a separate project being developed at the same time that involved Clayton Moore as the previous Lone Ranger, handing over like a torch passing mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. but uh, obviously the bad blood between him and and rather prevented that from happening for this film. Our director here was William A. Fraker. He got his start as an assistant cameraman on 39 episodes of the Lone Ranger TV series in the 50s, which is why it feels so much like the TV show. He'd only directed Monty Walsh in 1970 and A Reflection of Fear before this, and then stuck with television for the rest of his directing work, ending with an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger.
3: Well, that makes a lot of sense, I yeah. think. That this, yeah, not entirely feels TV.
1: But he was a long-running cinematographer as well that's true yes oh. uh his
2: bigger credits seem to be his cinematography uh which start with stuff like doc richard's favorite television yeah. series uh later rosemary's baby bullet paint your wagon gator exorcist to the heretic the warren beatty heaven can wait 1941 we've seen his work lensing the hollywood knights and he's back later this season for sharky's machine he also dp'd best little whorehouse in texas war games space camp memoirs of an invisible man tombstone the 94 street fighter and the brando island of dr moreau
3: i mean there's good stuff in there i'm wondering yeah. why this one didn't look as good as because as he of that wasn't the dp on this yeah i guess you're too focused on directing yeah,
2: too busy writer ivan goff together with co-writer ben roberts he served as the creator of the tv series charlie's angels they also worked together on Mannix. And way before that, they co-wrote White Heat with James Cagney in the late 40s. Writer Michael Kane, so far we've reviewed his work on Smokey and the Bandit 2 and Hard Country, as well as MacGyver episode Bitter Harvest. Later this season, he also writes Southern Comfort, a title I will for sure confuse with Hard Country from then on. He also wrote some dialogue for Jaws 3D and the script for All the Right Moves. Writer William Roberts wrote The Magnificent Seven. After this, he wrote Bronson Vehicle, Ten to Midnight, and an early draft of Major Pain. The adaptation was by Gerald B. Derlichon, and this is his only credit. Characters came from George W. Trendle. His credits are mostly Lone Ranger and Green Hornet related. His favorite songs were the William Tell overture and The Flight of the Bumblebee, which became the theme songs of his two creations, The Lone Ranger and The Green Hornet, respectively. The other character credit goes to Fran Stryker, who has all the same credits as Trendle. The music here was from John Barry, and like I said, I like the music. I like the main theme, and I like the the music throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Barry is best known for the iconic Bond theme. We've heard his work now in Raise the Titanic, Somewhere in Time, Touched by Love, and Inside Moves, and he's back this season for Body Heat. He won four Oscars for composing the scores of Born Free, The Lion in Winter, Out of Africa, and Dances with Wolves, and one for a song in Born Free. He also won a Razzie for his score to this film, which is total bullshit because the score is fine. The lyrics here that Merle Haggard didn't like singing were written by Dean Pitchford. Most of his credits are soundtrack credits for writing the song Footloose from the movie Footloose, which he also wrote. He wrote all the songs for fame last year with Michael Gore, for which they won an Oscar. He also wrote Let's Hear It for the Boy and Holding Out for a Hero. Singer Merle Haggard was the balladeer. Apparently he plays himself in Wag the Dog. Obviously he's a popular country western musician, and we also saw him as himself last year. For the first Clint Eastwood release, Bronco Billy, taking a five-minute break as a fight broke out in a bar. Cinematographer Laszlo Kovacs. He has a long list of credits we've discussed previously in reviewing his work on Heartbeat and Inside Moves last season. He later DPs Ghostbusters and Multiplicity, but he has 80-some credits on major films, so he's, he's a huge DP. I just didn't really care for the lighting in this movie. And it, maybe it's not even the lighting. It's it's very soft lighting, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like I, I would want more contrasty.
3: Well, again, I feel like that might be trying to be more like the television show. Sure. So, you know, like. I think
2: it might have worked with different direction, but I, I really don't like the framing for anything here. Yeah. Editor Thomas Stanford, he edited Jeremiah Johnson, West Side Story, and something called In the Cool of the Day, which bizarrely came out four years before In the Heat of the Night. Producer Jack Rather, he was the producer of various incarnations of Lone Ranger and Lassie, after buying the rights to each, with a fortune earned in the business of petroleum. Another producer credit for Sir Lou Grade. Grade fully admitted years after the film's failure, quote, The mistake was not dispensing with the legend in ten minutes and getting on with the action much earlier on.
3: That's what I said.
2: That's true. Grade so far worked on Saturn 3 and raised the Titanic from what we've covered. He also produced a few Henson projects, specifically The Muppet Show, The Muppet Movie, The Great Muppet Caper later this season, and later The Dark Crystal. As a result, he has a Muppet named after him, Lou Zealand.
3: Oh yeah, the guy that th- throws with the fishes. With fish, yeah. yeah.
2: Clinton Spillsbury plays the Lone Ranger, John Reed, this is his only feature film appearance. He was originally signed for a three-picture deal, but must have just been paid out of it. Not unlike Sam Jones from Flash Gordon last year, the pressure of being an unknown, thrown into such a high-profile role, weighed heavily on Spillsbury. Throughout production, he allegedly spent a lot of time in bars, starting fights with people, allegedly slapping a waitress. Also like Sam Jones, Spillsbury's voice was entirely dubbed over by James Keach when filmmakers were disappointed with his line reads. On set, he demanded that his lines be shortened, and also insisted that the shot be filmed in sequence to accommodate for his lack of experience. After this film, John Derrick, producer-husband of Bo Derrick, was running down the list of famous stories in which he could cast his wife naked opposite a handsome man and settled on Adam and Eve, and he wanted Spillsbury for the part, but the project could not be financed after Lone Ranger's failure. In a contemporary interview with Andy Warhol, Spillsbury described romantic relationships he'd had with Bud Cort and fashion designer Halston. Michael Horse played Tonto. Do you guys recall the last time we discussed A Man Called Horse? (laughs) With negligible acting credits to his name, he worked primarily as a silversmith, which obviously fits the character well. He went a lot further than Spillsbury after this, most famously as Deputy Tommy Hawk Hill, and David Lynch's Twin Peaks. He also voiced Peter Mazza on Gargoyles, among many other voice acting credits. Yeah, And he is of Apache descent. Christopher Lloyd played Cavendish. We've seen him so far in The Black Marble, Schizoid, and quite recently in The Postman Always Rings Twice, but this is his biggest role so far by a long shot. He's Doc Brown, he's Judge Doom, Professor Plum, Uncle Fester, you know this guy. Matt Clark played Sheriff Wyatt. He was Roy Purcell in Brubaker last year and a very similar character in Ruckus last year. We'll see him again later this season in An Eye for an Eye. He reunites with Christopher Lloyd for another western, Back to the Future Part 3, in 1990, in which he plays the bartender. He's also the Secretary of Defense in The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. Juanine Clay played Amy Stryker. The character name is clearly a reference to the writer of the original series, and she was also Pat Healy in War Games. Who's that, Richard?
1: Uh what's this sorry i missed this person who is this
2: amy striker
1: pat healy oh um is that she, his mom no uh pat healy is the uh assistant to uh dabney coleman's character
2: oh okay jason robards played president grant we just saw him in cabo blanco as well as last season and raised the titanic and melvin and howard in which he earned an oscar nomination as howard we always call out his work in Magnolia and A Thousand Clowns as standouts among his extensive filmography. As far as presidential roles, Robards has also played Lincoln, Roosevelt, and fictional president Richard Monkton in Washington, Behind Closed Doors. John Bennett Perry played Dan Reed. He's Arthur Stanhope in George of the Jungle and a secret serviceman in Independence Day. He's back later this season in Only When I Laugh, and he also plays Richard Whitman, the father of Matthew Perry's Alex Whitman in Fool's Rush In. He is also, in fact, the actual father of actor Matthew Perry. Huh. John Hart played Lucas Stryker. This is the actor who replaced Clayton Moore for season three of the original Lone Ranger series. Clayton Moore had declined the cameo due to all the legal actions taken against him by producer Jack Rather, and clearly Moore had the last laugh. Hart also appeared as the Lone Ranger in a 1970 film called The Finks, and an episode of The Greatest American Hero. Richard Farnsworth played Wild Bill Hickok. He was John Coble in Tom Horn, Sheriff Poe in Ruckus, Esco Brown in Resurrection. He'll show up down the line in The Natural, Misery, and David Lynch's *Straight Story. Theodore J. Flicker played Buffalo Bill Cody. He's actually a writer-director whose film Soggy Bottom USA will get to next season. He's also the creator of the TV series Barney Miller. Mert Gilpin played young John Reed, He's Sean in Jaws 2, and he played Dalem in Earthbound earlier this season. David Bennett played General Rodriguez. He was Ralph in Last Married Couple in America. That was his only other credit. So that's a wrap on David Bennett, everybody. Daniel Nunez played Waystation Agent. This was his last credit. We've seen him earlier this season as a liquor cashier in The Howling. He's also a Federale in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ted White played Mr. Reed, father of The Lone Ranger. He was a motorcycle cop in Oh God, Book 2 a guard in Cutter's Way, a goon in Going Ape, and he's back later this season as a Roman officer in The History of the World Part 1. Sherry Bryson played Mrs. Reed. That's the mother who was shot in the face. She played the tourist in The Nude Bomb last year, specifically the woman riding the Universal Studios tram that gets dunked in the water until her shirt is completely transparent. She's also the woman at the accident in Creepshow 2 segment The Hitcher. Is there another person at the accident when she hits the guy in the street?
1: Um, I don't remember that. Yeah, I I don't
2: remember another woman being at the scene of the accident, but apparently she played that person. James Lee Crite played Waiter. He wrote an episode of Eerie Indiana called The Dead Letter. Jeff Ramsey played Ranger Alcott. He was a horse breaker in Tom Horn, and he played the Matador in Herbie Goes Bananas last year. Ben Bates was Ranger Post. He's a really big guy. He played Arcane Monster in The Swamp Thing, and we saw him earlier this year in Ruckus as Big Ben the guy in charge of holding Dirk Benedict hostage. Ted Gering played Dale Wesley Stilwell of the Cavendish Gang. He was Durant in When Time Ran Out last season, and he's also Crowed in Battlestar Galactica. Buck Taylor was Robert Edward Gatlin. We had him earlier this season as Dynamite Dick in Catalanian and Little Britches, and he'll show up later in Triumphs of a Man Called Horse, the third installment, and as Turkey Creek Jack Johnson in Tombstone
1: i'm assuming since these characters got full names these are the characters who were executed
2: yes I've, these are all the cavendish gang but but section. since
1: these, but since these guys got like you know like i feel like they, they said their names at their execution their yeah, full names that makes
2: sense chuck hayward played wald he was deputy earl proctor in tom horn last year and he's also Walker Man in the clonus horror and standby engineer in the swarm terry leonard played valentine three days after injuring his legs here he was back on set, and later the same year, he would tempt fate by reenacting a very similar stunt, being dragged under a jeep in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Bonita Granville played Woman. This was her final film. She was the original film version of teen detective Nancy Drew in the 30s. She appears in 1942's Now Voyager, which we saw characters watching in Gordon Willis's Windows early last season, and she had a role on the 1956 Lone Ranger feature on account of her husband having purchased the rights to the character. She is the wife of Jack Rather. James Keach did the voice of The Lone Ranger and of John Reed. He's the brother of actor Stacy Keach, who played his brother in Long Riders last season, and he's also the motorcycle cop in Vacation, the warden in Walk the Line, and he's Gray Maturin in The Razor's Edge. I think that's everything for The Legend of the Lone Ranger. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. We have a Discord, you can join the 24/7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present and future at vintagevideopodcast.com/discord, and if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Oh, what's that sound? That's right, it's another new patron, Corey Warden. Thank you so much for your contribution to the show. As a $5 patron, Corey now has access to 20 full-size 70s reviews and a 21st dropping on Monday morning and 17 mini-sode reviews. We appreciate it, Corey. You're making the show possible. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Outland, which IMDb describes like so. A federal marshal stationed at a mining colony on the Jupiter moon of Io uncovers a drug smuggling conspiracy. He gets no help from the workers or authorities when he finds himself marked for murder. We leave you now with a trailer for Outland.
0: In a mining town, on the second moon of Jupiter, something deadly is happening. Pretty soon you'll see that this is just like every other mining town. I work these people hard, and I uh, I let them play hard. There's never much trouble. We're all professionals. I'm sure we are.
1: We've only been here two weeks. It'll get better, I promise. I got nothing
0: more on that incident in the mine yesterday. It looks like some guy just went
1: wacko. It happens here. How often? I don't know. It just happens here. Why? I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't tell you why. Some people just can't take it here after
0: a while. What's
1: <laughs> that guy think he's doing? No way it could have been homicide.
0: It had to have been a suicide. 28 in the
1: last six months.
0: Did you do autopsy? <laughs> no.
1: Then
0: how do you know it was a suicide? There's no other explanation.
1: When a person exposes himself to zero pressure atmosphere, there isn't a whole lot left to inspect. Something's that, isn't it?
0: Maybe. Giant metal, I want you to know what you're meddling with. How do you leave? We're dealing with grown ups here. Marshall, you're dead.
1: You're the kind of guy you're supposed to be. You wouldn't stick around. That's why they sent you here.
2: Maybe they made a mistake.
0: Still,
3: man. How do you say Haggard's first name correctly? Merle. Merle. I like girl Merle. with an M. Merle.
2: That's all right. It's not a real name. M- Merle. Yeah, it's just a made-up word.
3: Merle Haggard.
2: Merle M- Haggard.
3: Merle Haggard. Mm-hmm. I could do with the whole Merle Haggard part. Just want to. I want, it, I want a part where I'm not saying it Say it, it more dumb.
2: emphatically, just one more. I could do without the whole Merle Haggard part.
3: I could do it without the whole, I'll give it a pause. <laughs> I could do without the whole Merle, Merle, Merle.
2: <laughs> this is the one I'm going to use. Merle. Merle. It's just girl with an M. Girl with an M earring.
3: <laughs> now I can't do it at all.
2: girl <laughs> no, not that kind of girl with an M.
3: <laughs> I could do without I could, fucking <laughs> <hell>. <laughs> I could never be an actor. I could do without the whole Merle Haggard part.
2: Perfect. Oh my god, sweetie. <laughs> Fuck off. I felt it in my bones. <laughs>